Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luhr, and today we're crossing over again all the way to Hamburg, Germany, to a fellow German sports entrepreneur here. Welcome to the podcast, Joachim. Yeah, hey, Marcus. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, great to have you here. And let me make sure I introduce you properly. So Joachim Hilke, as in the full name here, has been in the world of sports marketing for many, many years. Um, similar to my career, almost been around now for over 25 years. Really been involved in a variety of very interesting and very different things. And that's why we're here to explore those uh, those roles you played. And just to give a little heads up to uh, what we'll be talking about, and we will start all the way from NFL Europe, the uh, a particular team which played in Germany. You had a you know illustrious uh, long period with Sport Five uh, as the international CEO. Uh, you were involved with the with the Hamburg football team HSV Hamburg. There again, big famous club. Um, lots of stories we're going to be digging in there. And then of course we're going to spend a good time on Fanatics International uh, in your current role there as the managing director for global partnerships. Now, this is Fanatics as the licensing merchandising part of the company, not to be mixed up with Fanatics Esports here, which sounds similar <laughs> and, and the name is similar, but uh, we will this will be very clear by the time we get to it later. But uh, that company has seen some amazing growth over the last few years, massive valuation into the billions of dollars now, and uh, we'll have a good look into what, what you guys are doing there now. But um, as we always start off, uh, we kind of go back really at how it all started. Coming out of university, I believe you studied in Europe at the European uh, Business School there in London. And then you ended up at uh, the NFL International, I think it was a call at that time, with uh, Ryan Fire. Talk us through this. Uh, how do you get from the university into an American football team? Yeah, indeed. I mean, um, well, as, as most of my uh, my past life, some funny stories around and, and NFL is just as it. Uh, I was uh, still at university, was writing my uh, my thesis there for my my degree, and and I had uh, I, I I looked into a sports topic. I mean, I wrote about broadcasting sponsorship back in the 90s this was this was right. not of existence back then right so uh, as most of the students um, you know you write three or four pages and then then you're done so I, uh, I I looked sports organizations up in the yellow pages basically and found the NFL <laughs> gave them a call and um, I met a guy who invited me uh, and and told me a great deal of, of the sports industry back then, right. uh, which was great. They invited me for dinner and um, we, we became close. And um, just a couple of weeks after, I was still still writing on this, on this document. Um, I got an invite um, to, uh, to fly over to New York, um, meeting people as they were recruiting for NFL Europe back then. Back then, actually, they called it World League of American Football. Right. Um, right. Only few will remember. Um, they were back then not really ready to give it, uh, well, the full blow commitment uh, and putting the brand on top of it, mm -hmm. as obviously NFL executives didn't didn't really know what would be happening in Europe. Right. Um, and and. That's how it all started, um, really. And um, yeah, that was this this funny phone call. And I mean, back looking backwards, I love to have done it, right? 
Yeah, no, I mean, look, it, it sounds like a, obviously an interesting place to start. Um, you know, American football, as we all know, and this is in the mid-90s here we're talking, uh, wasn't really a big deal in Europe, right? I mean, uh, the NFL... You know, I guess, uh, you know, we're doing certain things there. They had some, maybe some games already, but uh, it, it, it was a very, it was really, really early days. So Ryan Fire was, uh, I believe, based out of Dusseldorf, right? That that was the... Yeah, uh, based out of Dusseldorf. But the, but the reality was, Marcus, and going a step backwards, um, I was... I, I played I played amateur golf on an international level, okay. and and I, I I traveled over to the states many times and, and played in tournaments over there. So I saw and understood a little bit of of what's happening in sports over in the U.S. and mm. in 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 the early '90s uh, over here in Europe there was there was almost nothing like like what we know of a sports industry today. Right. So uh, uh, you know I'm coming from a family. My dad is a he was a, in, in the steel industry. So uh, it really was zero um, affection to sports and, and not even the, the, I mean, here's not the slightest view into making money and, and, and uh, getting getting a life and a career within sports. And, right. and very few people over in Germany had this ambition to do so. So that's why that's why the American sports marketing scene was was something that that I really liked in in, in that sense NFL was not totally by coincidence um, because those guys uh, even early days were were super professional and, mm -hmm. and almost everyone in Europe orient gave themselves orientation from from what NFL NBA and those guys did yeah uh, no absolutely you, you're right I think us was definitely uh, a way ahead of the rest of the world and including Europe at that time so so you came in there I believe you were the marketing director uh, of, of the team um, now so how do you market um, American football to the Germans or whoever is your audience at that time there I guess it was probably you know heavily focused trying to get marketing dollars out of out of german sponsors you know where do you even start i mean give us some little bit of a you know some stories here of how you were pitching this or how you were positioning it yeah and if, indeed i mean we we, we started with a few people, uh, none of us had ever seen a football game in life, right? I mean, <laughs> okay. uh, we didn't really know what we were pitching for in the true sense, but we, we just started. We, we we went from top. I mean, we uh, we we uh, signed a, a rental agreement with the the local stadium, the big one where the where the local football club club was playing. Mm -hmm. They obviously didn't like us to to share the stadium with them, um, as we were kind of ruining the the grass. The um, uh, but we we kind of positioned ourselves totally different. Not not really coming from the sports, but coming from lifestyle entertainment um from a from a true event mm -hmm. happening kind of thing which which uh, took quite a bit of interest back then um the reality was that the the, the football teams over here in germany and the, i mean the beauty and the problem of this market here is that football is so much of a dominator just totally in contrast to say England where other sports are of existence back then um, football clubs didn't really have proper marketing departments uh, you know boards and sponsorship were mainly sold by the owners of the stadium which were owned by the state mm. so um, th th there was no real structure uh, 
in, in, in the sales of a, say, sports product. And we came over and, and did a totally new approach. Mm. Uh, just, hey, folks, let's have fun. Come on a Saturday night. Our games were a Saturday night. Okay. Um, bring, your, bring your girlfriends, bring your friends. Um, uh, we throw a great party and we give you a bit of American uh, way of life. Uh, Americana into, in Germany. Here we go. Absolutely. Yeah. In, into, into Dusseldorf. And uh, Dusseldorf is part of, a, uh, as many of you guys know, a, a, a huge area, Rhine-Ruhr area with, well, almost 20 million people in, uh, in, in, a, in a circle of about 100 miles. Mm. Uh, so, so the the market was was great, and uh, the reception for for this idea was good. And people only learned the sports or only experienced the sports once they were in in the stadium, really, and saw the game. Right. So, uh, uh, I promise, ninety percent of the people who bought a ticket had never yeah, seen a game, seen had zero clue on the rules of the game, and they were just. Uh, well, learning by uh, by sitting there and learning by drinking and learning by you know just having fun, yeah, and we yeah. tried to uh, to organize the, the events like this. How, how many so that teams existed in the league at that time? Um, the we, whole league were how back many then teams? We started with six teams. Six, okay. uh, yeah, six teams in Spain, England, Scotland. Uh, Germany two and Holland. In yeah, Amsterdam. Germany had two, right? For uh, exactly. Yeah, Frankfurt. Uh, Frankfurt, right, which was, Frankfurt. Yeah, I mean, historically, is pretty Americanized uh, because of the uh, right. of the army uh, based there. Uh, Frankfurt was was uh, was always a good franchise, and and the reality was uh, only in Germany it really worked out. So uh, even in in the first year, we um, we had uh, an average of uh, forty thousand plus people in the in the stands wow. sell sold tickets all of a sudden you know you you you, you get sponsors on board uh, and that was it that was great I that's mean, it, huge it, it was I, I was just going to ask you how many you know what was the average 40,000 was the average for the yeah, games and, and yeah and, and wow. Frankfurt Frankfurt was even better uh, they amazing. they had a whole number of sold out uh, games back then so the atmosphere was 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 great yeah. how and, was the football we totally I mean over you know, if, if you all the football was yeah how was, how was the players the football was terrible the, the football <laughs> was I mean and and the whole organizational thing I mean we're talking about the event but in between we we brought about 50 players from the US mainly people who were say below farm team level right. okay. um, people who didn't make it but had no other options in life more or less right. so difficult people to be quite honest um, and and we had to uh, host them in in a German city in my in my case uh, for about four months right I mean right. We, we got a whole a hotel for those guys and I mean you have Altogether, we had 10 game season for months. I mean, there is a lot. And everyone who knows professional sports, I mean, they, those guys practice maybe two hours plus some video. Uh, I mean, there may be five hours with their sport and the rest, they're out there in the city. And, mm. and we had issues, I tell you, okay. every single day. <laughs> uh, of course, they were going wild and party and, and uh, well, I got girls and things. And I mean, I mean everything you can think of um, <laughs> uh, happened. 
and I mean, it, it was like, uh, yeah, was being like a, being a marketing guy and being a kindergarten host uh, ever. But it was it was great, and we of course tried to um, to do our absolute best to um, to accommodate everything. And I mean, it sounds it sounds a bit odd, and I'm exaggerating here, but it, it it's been uh, it, it's been yeah, super nice. But the costs were were super high for the NFL. I mean, to bring them over, that costs you a, a fortune. Mm. Um, and um, obviously, the, the the event plus sponsorship, you can't sell TV rights, obviously. So in, who owns the Central teams, Europe. actually? Well, it was all NFL. The NFL owns the, all the franchises. Yes. Right. Well, the, the, owners, the owners own the NFL, basically. Uh, the owners... Just as European football clubs, they have the ambition to go international, right? And mm-hmm. uh, back then, uh, it was some of some of the owners supporting this quite uh, quite significantly, right, right. Uh, and and we're standing behind it. Uh, interesting enough, my boss was uh, or Roger Goodell was NFL international. He's mm-hmm. today he's the commissioner. He was right, our, right. our my big boss back then. Okay, uh, he supported that big time. He still supports NFL International big time. Uh, great guy, unbelievable vision. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and um, uh, yeah, we got the support. And, of course, we also got a lot of criticism from some of the owners. Uh, um, there were some NFL players, so we wanted to have stickers of, you know, designated uh, players, NFL players on the helmet. And obviously, uh, PR-wise, we kind of used um, our player from, we had one from the Green Bay Packers, and we did a lot of stories. You know, it's it's storytelling in, uh, in a very early stage, mm. uh, but it worked out nicely. Unfortunate, outside of Europe, uh, outside of Germany, it didn't work. Uh, in, in neither in Amsterdam nor in Scotland, um, uh, we were able to generate the crowds that we needed. Because I mean, the the the, the true um, idea or the true task that I was given uh, was the, the, the Americans told me, "Hey, get butts in the seats." And that, that is the main, that was the main thing. So mm. we created a lot of fuss and that fuss was also created in Amsterdam, but people didn't just, just didn't, didn't just didn't pick up on it in the uh, same way. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I mean, the league, the um, yeah, league I think was dismantled in what, two, five two six or something like that. I saw earlier, right? I think it's, so it, it obviously ran for, you know, almost a decade. Um, yes, and, and exactly. And I guess there, there's no other version of it right now. Um, the te- you know, your team, I think, did okay. You know, I think you were there for until about '97, I think, and then in '98 they won the they won the what they called the World Bowl, right? Um, yeah. The team won, yeah. and I think they won a couple more. And so, yeah, so for all intents and purposes, I, you know, it was a good, it was an interesting start to your career there. And and, I, and I, but I don't have this ring, you know. You I, don't I, have I, a ring. They got this ring. I, I, I left. You had just left. I, I left at the end of the end of the year, and in I think in May. They had the World Bowl, so the season was just about to start when I left. Right. And uh, I would have, I would love to have this big ring <laughs> wearing it. <laughs> right. I don't have it. It's too bad. Uh, it's too bad. But anyway, well, well, you, um, you landed was... in another very interesting company right after, and that's of course our friends from Sport Five, who then over the years changed that name a couple of times, uh, and now back to Sport Five. Uh, you know, I had obviously a fellow. Uh, 
fellow uh, sport fiver there on the call uh, on, on a podcast before here but when you came and you joined him and I, I, eventually you ended up being the ceo of international but uh, was that i'm assuming maybe not your first role coming in there or or when you joined what was it exactly what you were doing in sport five and where was the company at that time so this is sort of uh, you know 1998 i think here still again early days of of the industry right Yeah, well, it took me a while until uh, becoming becoming CEO there. Um, yeah, I, I, I left. Obviously, when you want to do a career in sports in Europe, you um, you, you you want to be in football, in, in say in our real football. Um, so when um, when when Sport Five back then Ufa Ufa yep. Sports, um, they someone gave me a call and um, that that. that obviously was was super interesting i was potentially amongst the first say 20 people uh being there in late 97 um and they had just started really to uh to settle also into the marketing rights segment uh, in in earlier 90 in, in the early 90s the uh, ufa had um had started doing broadcasting deals Mm -hmm. international broadcasting deals you know back then uefa cup and um uefa cup was still decentrally marketed uh so we collected a lot of rights of of, of football clubs and then sold them to to broadcasters um that that really was the the, the core business of of ufa and then sport 5 for for a very long period of time very uh profitable business um But at the time um, when they hired me, um, they uh, they had understood that it's that it's not only broadcast international broadcasting rights, but you want to be close to rights holders. You want to be close to football clubs, and you only get close when when you do the the, the, the daily business, the, the bread and butter business, which is uh, selling sponsorships, selling tickets, hospitality. Uh, so it developed the whole thing. Um, and that's what that's what I was hired for. Um, back then, we only had one contract with Hatta Berlin, uh -huh. uh, but the ambition was to to get more of those deals. And I mean, I, I started and did um, what later in my career became a big part of my life. Um, we did a, a pretty big uh, agency contract with uh, Hamburg SV, HSV, and right. uh, in our, say, hometown where we were based, yep. uh, that was a massive and, and important deal. And as uh, I back then, together with the MD, uh, Bernd Hoffmann, who later became CEO of HSV as well, mm -hmm. um, we did the deal and... Um, Well, it was kind of obvious back then that they needed someone to uh, to run the business. Um, they wanted to buy a stadium, uh, build a stadium, um, so it needed money. And Bertelsmann, our our mother company, um, uh, gave gave a loan, and we're basically standing tall for the funding of the stadium. So we played an uh, integral part in, in this whole new HSV stadium. Later, it became World Cup 2026 uh, 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 stadium. So super important step forward. The first, actually the first stadium that was built in, uh, in Germany, so of the new generation, Mm, okay. Uh, owned owned by the club, 
um, uh, indeed, HSV became the first who uh, who have done this, and and for, good for me. And a bit, uh, I was a bit lucky because we had, in our contract we had a board seat on on the club's board of, uh, and um, uh, well, we were like asking board members within Bertelsmann, hey, Mr. Such and Such, would you be ready to go on the board? And, you know, people who are doing careers in that level, they kind of said, oh, no, don't, don't, please don't even ask me. Don't want to go into football. Um, so nobody was really ready to do this. So um, th- th- we, we had this meeting when we had no idea to how, how to do this and how to arrange this. So um, uh, someone put a Pointed, pointed the finger to me. So you, you're doing it anyway, this job. So uh, you are the board member. Uh, here right. you go. So th- this was, I mean, I was end of my 20s. Uh, that, that, that was great in a sense that I became, uh, that I got some publicity by that, right? I mean, right. Okay. this whole deal was new, a lot of money involved, um, agency from the outside world, the football in its new form going to be shaped in Germany. And here is that first big right, right. project uh, doing all of this. And here's this young kid um, running all the marketing commercial activities uh, uh, for the club. So so you basically had two hats. You you had the, the, the sports exactly. hat and a, and, a, and a club hat. Okay. Exactly. The, the club, the reality was the CEO back then was a polit- an ex-politician, uh, super cool guy, uh, which I learned a lot from, um, he never really took me as a board member, to be quite honest. Of course, I wouldn't. <laughs> he I wouldn't he didn't take it seriously. <laughs> But, you know, I, I was I was part of the whole thing. And, and I, uh, I kind of understood, hey, this is this is a great opportunity to learn. Right. And um, uh, I, I kept my ears wide open. And uh, I think I understood quite a bit of of the political implications of, of, of a football club in uh, in the world, uh, how important it is, um, uh, not alone publicity, PR activities. Um, uh, and obviously I, I had the chance of, of doing it, with being backed by the agency with a lot of great people behind me. Uh, we, we could really design what the new HSV Uh, was to become interesting. And yeah, well, well, that, I want to come back to well. HSV in, a little bit later when we when we are talking about sort of your your role there as a marketing head and in, in the board level there. Which, um, but before that, let, let's stick a little bit more around the the sport five there. I mean, you were th- 13 years there. Uh, and, you know, started off, I guess, with uh, played an important role in in in, um, in Hamburg. There was the club, but uh, what else were the sort of you know talk a bit more about you know how you ended up working with Robert. You know, Robert Müller von Voltes was, of course, the one who was on my previous podcast, gentleman um, I referred yeah. to earlier. Um, you know, and we went through the whole. I mean, he's been there basically for almost 25 years now, I think. Um, so he's seen it from start to. To where it is now, and, and all the changes in between, um, in those 13 years, so you know, I said late late 90s, and then into the you know 2000 2000s here. Um, I mean, Sport 5 was a big agency, right? You guys did some big big deals around the world. Uh, what was your focus? Was it mostly Europe, or was it uh, Germany specific, or w- which part of the the agency were you heavily involved in? Yeah, I mean, we we had some good success around getting sponsors on board, right? I mean, with that new stadium in Hamburg, we we had the first naming right deal here. It was AOL, 
arena. Ah, yeah, in, right. In, I remember in, that. Where, mm-hmm. Yeah, Philip Schindler on AOL. He's now number two at Google in uh, in. in in California, right. um, he, he had the vision of doing this together with myself, and we discussed this, and so we had some success. Um, so I, I, I took over the all of the sales in the marketing rights division. Okay, uh, we started off really being German, being domestic here, uh, and and we built an, a sales organization in the, in the true sense of the word. Mm. Um, and and that worked out great. Uh, in parts, Sport Five is still using this, the, the say the generic part of that of that sales department uh, today. Uh, that that worked out well. So domestic then became kind of too small, sold out every year. All our rights, um, our our portfolio of rights holders got bigger and bigger. Mm. Um, and then I moved into international. I always uh, had had the ambition of being a being in the international marketplace, and we that that was the moment when uh, Robert, you mentioned, but also others who were uh, responsible for for the the broadcasting uh, right. part that was more or less totally divided from the marketing part. Okay. Uh, th- those guys were standing. F- for most of the profit for Sport5 back then. Uh, they were super successful, uh, had a great team, and say us marketing guys, uh, everyone who has ever sold a sponsorship knows how difficult it is and yeah, how, how many meetings you need and, and, and how much talking and blah, blah, blah. Yep. So we kind of tried to get together as we, we looked into the international market where we held a lot of TV rights contracts with with football associations back mm-hmm. then in um whenever that was uh 20 oh three two maybe three four whatever um we looked into this and and most of those football associations i mean we had 35 out of the 52 associations contracted at some point that was of course, moving a bit up and down always, but I mean a significant part of of say the UEFA. Yeah, you're talking about the UEFA uh, na- national teams, right? At the moment, is what you're national, to, right? I'm talking about uh, UEFA, yeah, football yeah. associations, yeah. FAs, uh, uh, under contract, and most of the. The, the countries we contracted or the FAs we contracted were, were the smaller ones, but but those guys played against the bigger ones, right? I right. mean, they play the likes of the Englands and the Germanys and the Italys every every now and then, and, and those games are yeah, yeah. super valuable. That's how you made your money, um, yeah, absolutely. And that, that's how the that's how Sport Five really made most of its money, and and uh, that worked out tremendously well. And so that that came the point when when people like Robert and myself or Stefan Felsing and others we we came together and say, hey, how can we collaborate between marketing and and uh, and TV? And we, we obviously saw that the smaller FAs they had uh, even I mean almost no. 
um, no marketing rights mm. exploitation, uh, what they've done. Um, so it was rather simple to go there and kind of carve out some of their rights, mainly boards, yep. uh, at their games, qualification games, Correct. and and sell them in yeah. um, in packages into the bigger market. Yeah, absolutely, exactly. And that's that's uh, that's how this this today well known brand qualifiers came about. Uh, that that was invented by. Well, by us, uh, really, we took we took bundled those games that we had, and uh, and sold them and sold them to, well, international companies. That's right. Yeah, and, and, and I, I want to just for for some of the international viewers here, I want to visualize that a bit more because I know exactly what you're talking about. So, so you know, Germany, let's say, plays. Uh, you know, any team, a, a country out of Eastern Europe. You know, I don't know. Let's say, uh, you know. Moldova or someone like that. Uh, right? Albania, oh, exactly. Albania, exactly. And uh, you know, naturally, there is very limited local sponsors who would have the money or or maybe be able to really afford um, being there. So, the whole pitch is full of German sponsors, basically, because of the broadcast into Germany, right? And so that's, I'm assuming, exactly what you guys were selling then. Um, and, and that's what I remember watching these games, you know, at home or wherever I was in the world. Uh, that it almost looks like that is a match in Germany because all the sponsors are Germans there, um, but that's the guys who pay the money because of the broadcast back home, right? So this is sort of the yeah, way to visualize it. Yeah, but what it, we right? did exactly, but we what we did is then we uh, we got a we did a double pro, we call it double production. So you produce the game uh, twice from both sides of okay. the stadia. Uh, so you sell you sell the one side to uh, the bigger market. Mm-hmm. Keep the example: Germany, the, the game Moldavia uh, versus Germany. You sell the one side, the Germany side, to the German FA. They put their sponsors on it. Right. This is the one part of it, and then you produce it from the other side of the stands. Oh, you, right. pro- so you do produce the same game as well, right. uh, yep. and have a local and have a local uh, uh, site that you can that you can also uh, use. The interesting thing is we had the broadcasting rights, so we could define what the international feed is. I mean, you talk about the the first party, the second party, and the third party, right? So a game Moldova, Moldova against Germany, is a super interesting right for third parties. So so outside the two participating countries. Mm. So um, the the site of the stadium that we were marketing was international partners were the international is there was the international feed yeah, yeah. so that's where we got our reach yeah, uh, with all respect to Moldavia you, you don't get the reach that you need for a bigger sponsorship yeah absolutely um, and and that you you accumulate all of your games doing exactly such and then bundle it as a sponsorship package that we right. called qualifiers mm. uh, and that that obviously then uh, hit the attention of UEFA yeah. Um, All that stuff sits now with our buddies from CAA. <laughs> and, and, uh, exactly. I mean, that, that is that is a, a that is a very there. interesting story. But but first of all, that hit the the attention of UEFA, and um, you know, as an agency, you you like to be connected to to the big sports organizations, um, and and UEFA, uh, which we pitched for, for rights over and over again, and, and hardly ever won. Then we won UEFA um, Euro twenty eight broadcasting rights, so we got a certain connection and. 
here comes the discussions that we then started um, in with UEFA people uh, um, around the um, the qualification matches uh, being being part of their bigger partnership program that was normally only sold for the Euro final event. Right. Uh, yeah, the Euro is a three a three week competition, so it's super hard for uh, one of their partners to have an activation that is, you know, that's covering more than those three weeks and and a couple of more months. Um, so the qualification games had a super important part, and um, for us it was brilliant as we as we kind of teamed up uh, because I, as being the the, the sales guy. Uh, I got access to all of their partners. Mm. So all of a sudden I was pitching uh, qualifiers games to the likes of the Budweiser's and McDonald's's and, you know, the, the, the big names in, mm. in the world of sponsorship. Uh, and like and here you go. We, we got, we, we, we sold some of those uh, packages to amazing prices, uh, which was, Basically all profit, right? Back yeah. then, I mean, there, there was a—it was brilliant. Yeah, some nice margins there. Now, do you guys already, in terms of on the TV front, I remember Robert talked about that. Obviously, it was always about putting minimum guarantees up, and you know, and then of course making the making it on top. And there were huge margins for a while, you know, until some of the federations, of course, realized that they were maybe selling it a bit cheap. Uh, how was it in the in the sponsorship? Would you were you also putting upfront money down, and or was it more of a ref share model at that time? Yeah, more ref share, uh, some buyout deals, some upfront. I mean, we we mostly did buyouts uh, right. with with the smaller FAs being in need for cash. Um, yeah, that's that's why for for quite a while that this business worked out, and it worked out well for both ends, I I believe. Um, but obviously, for us being say the sole player in the market. Um, it it was yeah it was a lot of easy take to be it was some easy money there nice now i want to move back to house fall here um so if i read it correctly you know and you alluded to it earlier of course that you had a bit of a double role right so you you were in the in sport five but also playing a board role there uh, but if I, unless I'm reading it wrongly on your CV here, then from 2011 onwards for about six, seven years, you were full-time then at HSV only. Is that correct? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's to totally correct. Right. I mean, that was, I, I, I left that what we called from the agency side, right. uh, team HSV. I left in, in uh, 2001. Um did all of what I just explained. And, you know, in between, we had this management buyout at Sport5, uh, which I was lucky enough to be part of. And um, then in 08, I think it was uh, Lagardère came in. Mm -hmm. I became CEO um, and and worked our way, our way further up. And it worked pretty well. Uh, but it wasn't easy as, uh, well... I mean, the qualifiers took an integral part why I was leaving Sport Five, because it was I mean it was really my heart and soul, the company, I have to say. Mm. Um, but then UEFA did that. UEFA did that. Uh, uh, well, they had the ambition to centralize um, 
all of the qualification. Um, and that happened with, already with, at that time, was it? I can't remember how long. That happened that. at that time. Oh, the discussions right. happened at that time. And um, uh, fair enough, I understood the ambition. But obviously, uh, I, uh, as a CEO, I was responsible. And, uh, and I said, well, folks, yeah, but uh, we need to play uh, an integral part of it because we, we own like more than two thirds of the entire rights mm -hmm. and we have long-term contracts here. Uh, it's a bit of a stay it's a it. bit of a risk yeah. to yeah you gotta stay in it you gotta, gotta uh, kind of de defend your claim right yeah and um, well I mean to, to to cut the long story short we 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 could I couldn't get to terms with with uh, my shareholders at Lagardère because they they were also close with UEFA and this whole thing turned out um, that that we had issues with with each other I left. Um, and and that that was the moment when HSV came to me and said, "Well, we know you uh, from from the bay, from the days back in late '90s. Right. Um, we need a say, chief commercial. Um, uh, are you are you ready to come over?" Right. And okay. um, yeah, that's that's when it happened. I mean, to answer right. your question, why and and how this how this chain right. came okay. about and. To be quite honest with you, that, that was something like a dream came true to be to be uh, to run a football club, right? right. Uh, well, uh, in your hometown, right? You, you are from Hamburg. Yeah, right? no, it's, it's uh, Hamburg is not my hometown. Oh, it's I not grew your up hometown. in, in okay. Essen, which is uh, which is uh, yeah, in the Ruhr part. Valley. But I mean, I'm now here for uh, twenty odd years, um, so so at least my kids would say it's my it's their hometown. Yeah. Um, but we, um, yeah, it, it still became a, a, a dream kind of came true because, you know, that little German kid also all of a sudden runs a German Bundesliga club. Yeah. Uh, I loved it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and HSV, I mean, let, let's give our international viewers a bit of a sense, right? Because it is a, it's, it was one of the few clubs um, which had never been relegated until, of course, they got relegated a few years ago, right? Um, yeah. Um, and then now still struggling to come back out of the out of the second division. But uh, I, if I recall, right, they were always the one who had been there since the foundation of the league. Um, so it had a, you know a lot of history. You know, Hamburg is a big city in Germany anyway, um, and therefore, of course, it needs a big football club. So, yeah, uh, you know, the, it's 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 not a it's not a small club by any means. Um, and of course, it, it is a members club, and, and we want to touch a bit on that earlier as well. Later as well, we, we touched on a bit. We were chatting on it earlier before the call. But you know, so just describe a bit. You know, Harris Fowl at that time when you joined them. You know, where were they playing in the league in terms of you know whether sort of you know, top table, mid, uh, were you playing your Euro European football or, you know, how can you visualize this, uh, you know, where, where you're now involved in? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, the change of management came about when HSV had, had a pretty good stint, uh, in European football between say in the, in the first century of the 2000s. So they, I, I can't tell you, maybe four or five times qualified for Champions League, sometimes qualified uh, in, in Euro Europa League, uh, being semi-finalist, I think, twice in 08 and 09, I believe. Yeah, that's um, right. they, had, they had a couple of good runs there, right? The they had, they had a yeah. couple of great runs. They had a couple. Uh, they had a run at the German title in the Bundesliga in... I don't know, maybe also 08. That that was the good seasons. Uh, and then in th this whole change of management came about in 11. Um, 
10 and 11 were rather sports on the sports side, pretty weak seasons. So, well, typically management is to be blamed in the industry. Uh, so they wanted to have a change in management and they changed the, the management all over. Uh, I mean, I, I did the commercial part, but uh, new new sports management came in, a new CEO came in, and a new, new commercial guy came in. And uh, to, to be quite honest with you, I, I stayed for six years, uh, and, and we never turned it turned it around on the pitch. Unfortunately, um, the the club came, really came more and more into turmoil. Um, you, you you don't have to. I mean, you don't have to forget. German football clubs are not consistent in their legal structures. Most, I mean, historically, German football clubs are owned by its members, and and basically all of 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 the 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 responsible people have to be elected by the general assembly, and the general assembly is not something that you would. Uh, uh, expect like a like a in a big you know Nasdaq company or anything. Uh, it's it's more that fans come about and uh, uh, and be emotional about that club. And right. so it's 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 majorities that that count that makes life for uh, say leaders very difficult. It's by the way, it's a problem of German football at this point. I, I'm not saying that the, the structure of members-owned clubs is the, the problem of German football, but the inconsistency uh, within the legal structures. You know, we, we have stock-listed uh, companies as playing in Bundesliga. We have uh, clubs being owned by uh, high-net-worth individuals. Um, we have uh, clubs being run as a uh, just a regular legal entity, and you have those member clubs, and, right. and uh, that that makes you know the starting point very different. Yeah. How to how to get to money, how to um, to fund your business, uh, how to make decisions that might not be popular uh, when you get when you need your re-election. Um, and, and all of those things, so so that makes German football at this point. I feel uh, well is is is, is uh, has a challenge um, to get into uh, uh, maybe a, a competition back in a competition of of equals. Hmm. Um, now, and, and it, it's how much unfortunately, you, how much you still case. follow the club at the moment? I mean, they're obviously in the second division. I think uh, just looking up here, you have Horst Rubisch, one of their all-time greats, <laughs> yeah, um, is yeah. the captain. Uh, sorry, is the coach right now? He's the right? coach. Yeah, yeah, he's now the coach. So uh, you know, you had a couple of other big names, of course, Felix Magad and others who you know played in the team. And uh, it's, it's an interesting story with a team like this. I guess uh, you know how they've been. You know, like you said, you came in, and I'm sure. You, you know, from a marketing point of view, you can do all the right things, but if the team on the pitch doesn't perform, there is a level of uh, there's only so much you can do, I guess, right? On the from a marketing. Well, point of view. let's say it, it's getting more difficult. Uh, yeah. That's that's the that's definitely the case. Um, but I mean, you, you you can't live in a city being a football guy and, and not following the team. Uh, I, I think that that counts for many. Uh, of course, I follow the club, uh, but I'm 
but I'm not a fan in, a, in the true sense of the word. My, my kids are, are fans, so uh, the games are on. Um, and they, they, they keep struggling now. And once being in the, in the second league, and I mean, lucky enough, I, I left the club before all of this happens, two years prior to that. But I felt back then, uh, with all of the difficulties, with, with a lot of public turmoil, um, it was a it was a right decision for me to make to to, to leave and to let other people uh, run the business as I I'm, I'm told I'm coming from the business side of things, and I wasn't really about to do a political job. Uh, it, it's just not my piece of cake to to run for majorities. Uh, to uh, I was interested in in well trying to get the club international. We did some tremendous stuff. Uh, I mean that's where we met uh, or we met right in I yeah. think in in, uh, in Korea and and we did we did some great deals in China back then. And at the same time we were we were we sucked on the pitch. I mean we 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 didn't <laughs> win football games and you know the the. The business model of a of a football club is win games, yeah. not participate in games. It's That's win games. Sure. And who do and, you have under the jersey at that time? Who was your main sponsor? Uh, we had Emirates, Emirates, Emirates. Airlines. Oh, so, right, so yeah. the the club was the club was excellent. I mean, the the, the marketing, uh, the sales situation was great. No question, as far was among the top three clubs in the country, uh, from a perspective of of sales. Uh, Sport Five still back then being the agency did a good job there. Um, we did a lot of. I think pretty innovative stuff um, uh, that brought us so how, even how outside the, of the, the domestic role, market. Yeah, sorry. How was the role split up then? So, Sport Five still does all your deals, or you kind of doing some of your own stuff internally, or are you more supervising the agency? Well, well, how would you sort of describe that? Yeah, they are. They are the sales agency. They they do they do uh, from the first point of contact. Mm -hmm. uh, they. They do it up to the deal, really, uh, in the sponsorship side of things. Um, but obviously, when it comes to to bigger deals, uh, the agency would always involve the the senior level of the club. Right, okay. I mean, that's and, and that is not a specificity in in HSV. That was that they would do this always because you know the sponsor, the C level of the sponsor, they would want. Too. Want to have a relationship uh, with the C-level people of the club, and and you would share the vision of the club, and uh, I mean, it's it needs very close collaboration, which which always worked out pretty nicely between mm. the agency and 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 then back me as as their client in a yeah. sense. Uh, 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 well, yeah, uh, well, but, but you but know of course I knew. Sure, sure. So so that was no problem. So from that perspective, ISV went went pretty nicely, but uh, we couldn't make it on the pitch. Mm -hmm. And um, and this legal structure thing, I mean, maybe that that story we then started changing it and and trying to get a majority. So we changed that legal structure, but with a lot of uh, headwind uh, from a from especially what we call the ultra fans. Uh, didn't they they really like the tradition which is fair enough and can be taken away but at the same time you you try to be competitive in the market out there right mm. Yeah, so uh, it's a it's a difficult setup in in German football for most or many of the 
more traditional clubs. Uh, I mean, HSV uh, is or Hamburg is in a, in, a, in a very similar spot. Then, you know, the likes of the Schalkes and the Cologne yeah, and absolutely. the Stuttgart. Yeah, my club good, doesn't good look brands. any better this year. Absolutely. No, they. Uh, and, and, you see you see the the stature of the of the first league is getting more say smaller cities smaller clubs getting up in this in the first and in the second league you'll find the big names yeah, yeah. or some of the big names um, which is which is obviously a problem you, a city yeah. like like hamburg needs a first league team it needs top it needs top football yeah. um that's anyway, so easy um, to get out there. Yeah, we, we could spend a whole hour with Bobby just on talking about oh, I can tell you, it's brilliant. Um, but we do want to talk a bit about Fanatics, uh, because a that's your not just your current role, but it is such an amazing company and 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 some incredible things you guys are doing globally. Um, and again, of course, your, your role, uh, which is the international side of it. So let's first let's start off with a bit explaining what is fanatics um you know what is, you know not everyone knows maybe the company or or you know maybe they want to see once they explain the, the business then they might recognize it but yeah, it isn't on everyone's radar around the world in the u.s you would know it very well but um, so talk us through that uh first you know what is fanatics from a big picture point of view um globally well, Fanatics is, is sports licensed products. So any sports licensed products is something we are uh, we are doing, we are interested in. We're based and founded uh, by a guy called Michael Rubin in the US, a uh, super successful uh, entrepreneur out of Philadelphia. Uh, he, he founded... Uh, um, Fanatics. After he sold GSI, which is a which is a business that took uh, basically the o online businesses of brands um, to market, he sold that to eBay. And um, after that sell, he took out or he bought back from eBay all the sports asset that were in GSI commerce back then. In that was in 2011. Uh, obviously, he did that deal. By the time he had contracts uh, with the NFL, with NBA, uh, and with some other major major leagues in the US, right. um, and but but the whole the whole say ecom business back then was 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 significant, but not the way it is today. Um, we we have a, a double digit Kega ever since. Um, uh, so, so we're in sports license totally and exclusively. Um, over the over the past years, uh, the relationships with the, the bigger leagues, where we we take all of their merch li uh, rights um, and develop it in what we call a vertical business. Mm -hmm. So we do all of the channels. We uh, we st we design. We produce. And we distribute through all the channels. Um, so we basically take the, the entire value chain of merch, which is traditionally a multi-fragmented business right. um, in, in sports, especially. Um, we take it in, 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 in one, into one value chain. And and that makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense as you have your own. We have our own production facilities. We have our uh, own warehouses, fulfillment centers, 
um, and and are able to obviously react to an, a very emotional product, which is license, right? I mean, licensed products. We we all don't need a whatever FC Bayern Munich T-shirt to survive, um, but we buy it because we are getting emotional. We 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 gifting a friend, we are gifting our kids, or whatever. Um, and, and that's why you need to be quick. And right. in a in a true sense of the word, we are a fast fashion business. Many right. many people will have an understanding of what that means. Uh, so you want to be quick. You want to have an assortment. You want to have availability anytime, especially when some something great or specific happens. Yeah. Uh, new player you, comes. You, you guys call it the V-commerce model, right? All the way from yeah, design we call it V-commerce, to e-commerce as we say, to, yeah. vertical. As we are totally vertical, right? right, we, right. We're going along the value chain of the of the merch, and, and as I said, traditionally it has been multi-fragmented. You, you have a license here for key rings, and and there one for for T-shirts, uh, uh, and and here is one for zipper zippered uh, uh, hoodies and stuff like that. So you you. You'd like to have it all, and that's that's our model. You have it all into into that one um, um, value chain, and that 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 helps tremendously by creating better margins and uh, uh, running and managing assortments that are attractive to the fans out there. But your core focus is apparel, right? I mean, uh, in the, the, the core largest... focus, what we do ourselves uh, is apparel. Right. Uh, apparel is the majority of, of, of uh, licensed products anyway, also in entertainment and, 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 and music and whatever. Right. Um, so what we do, we produce the, all apparel uh, indeed we are we are also uh, selling licenses uh, for product categories to uh, to producers to distributors uh, but the 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 business that we are totally focusing on is the apparel part. Right. Now, let's, Indeed. another question then, when it comes to apparel, obviously you have the official jersey, as in the jersey the team wears on the pitch, and then you have you know all the other you know sort of spin-offs from that. What's your big focus? Is it the official? Yeah, you got to define. You got to define obviously between. Uh, it's a good question. Um, you got to define between say the uh, the apparel made by uh, the the kit supplier so yeah. it, it, say in, in NFL everything is everything is done by Nike right so we are in, in that sense we are a buyer of Nike product right um, and uh, all of what we call the unbranded part so where there is no Nike logo on is what we do ourselves right. and and but but the but it has evolved so much that fanatics today, uh, in the in the example of of NFL, uh, we are even producing the Nike products, including the swoosh, um, as for a company like like Nike, who is who is super successful, forty plus billion dollar company by now. Uh, a sports license is maybe to two and a half percent of the entire business right. and it's it's very detailed the amount of SKUs, so uh, stock stock keeping units is is super high in license right. and it's rather low in in the rest of their of their business so the nike air shoe is sold in kl just as in hamburg in a similar in a similar design and a similar sizes 
So much easier and much better margins than to be reactive to things that happen on the pitch and you put your swoosh on mm. and you, you have to have, you know, the production uh, in, a, in, a, in a totally different uh, scale. Yeah, so Nike and, like, almost outsourced it, right? Is that sort of the best way to think well, of they, it? Well, right? they or, kind of. They right. kind of outsourced it by this. Right, okay. uh, by this means, they, they, they gave us, uh, in a sense, a license to produce Nike product, um, which obviously gives us a lot of volumes for, for the production facilities. Mm. Uh, and making making this making the the assortments very wide and for Nike it's 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 pretty good as you have obviously less product without the swoosh uh, being uh, connected with NFL and being sold out there. So um, that makes a lot of sense, uh, but it's but it's this is a specificity uh, in the in the say normal business we would buy for say a Bayern Munich contract where we run their international business we would buy with Adi uh, uh, all of their kit product uh, and and when it comes to unbranded um, we would produce product specifics specifically for an event or something that happened and uh, to to in, enlarge the uh, assortment yeah. Also and just, that's, just that's people, yeah, sorry. I, I just wanted to give people a sense of the size of this, the business now, right? I mean, and this and this is fairly recent. I think just a month or so back, uh, there was another round of fundraising. I think three hundred twenty million dollars were raised uh, at a twelve point eight billion dollar valuation, up from six point two in August the year before. So clearly, somewhat the pandemic um, has done. You know, you've guys. You know, the company has done very well in it. Um, why is it? Is it just because people are at home and therefore people are buying more things online, and, and you're just part yeah. of this, you know, massive e-commerce value creation, which obviously exploded all around the world? Um, or how do you explain that? Well, I mean, reality is, uh, even before the pandemic, we were in about an eighty percent e-commerce company. Mm. So um, we had a massive channel shift during the pandemic over the past year. Uh, towards e-com, obviously, Stadia, Stadia shops closed, no games, right. um, retail more or less closed uh, all over the place. Therefore, wholesale business uh, very low. Uh, so the 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 shift was was uh, tremendous, and the overall demand for sports licensed products. Uh, is 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 not is not going down. Um, it, it is That's still pretty stable. Yeah, I mean, you know, with no, with obviously a lot less sports on TV in most cases, right? You know, leagues had to stop and start, and, and you know, we had all sort of weird com weird versions of it. No fans in the stadium, uh, but the fans are still out there buying it. They're still shopping online, right? Is, is at least from yeah. the experience. I mean, the days the when having. when the league stopped. You're right. The, the days when leaks uh, leaks stopped, uh, we felt that. But once it came back live, people were able to watch. Uh, demand for product uh, uh, rose again. Yeah, very interesting. And, and I mean, thanks to actually German Bundesliga who came up with that with that uh, hygiene concept uh, that basically all of the leagues all around the world copied and 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 made sports being alive again mm. uh, so uh, during during the bad days where everything stopped uh, we had a we had a significant drop but once it 
uh, it came back uh, to action on the pitch, um, demand picked up again. Mm. So that was that was obviously super important. Um, but altogether, the, the interesting thing is that uh, that the overall demand is is not really going down. Um, so that, which is great for all of us here in the industry. It shows you that people are just super affected by sports. They, they, during or outside of a pandemic, they are just interesting in going where their heart is and, and whether uh, it's it's just an important part of, of so many yeah. people's life. Fandom is still there. That, that is great to hear. And again, it's great this, here. Absolutely. Uh, now, again, let, let's uh, just to, to kind of go into the next kind of level here. Um, so, I think uh, the company is close to doing about $3 billion worth in revenue in 2021, or at least that's the target here from what I'm seeing. Uh, again, nice year-on-year growth, of course. Um, so in the U.S., for sure, you, you guys are the dominant player. But internationally, and this is obviously where you come into play, uh, um, the company hasn't really expanded as much as maybe uh, you wanted or, or, or you, you're still planning to do. Um, and that's partly, I guess, I think is the challenge of that. It is a very heavy logistical business, right, Mo moving the product around and stuff. So talk a bit about your experience here as, as obviously the head of international or global um, and you're rolling it out into Europe um, where you are initially now and then maybe obviously looking into Asia and other parts of the world. Well, first of all, the, the experience altogether with Fanatics is, is just great. It's, a, it's an amazing company. Uh, it's totally digital and that obviously has given me a, a, a totally new perspective, mm. uh, a, a very steep learning curve. So that's that's the part for myself. Uh, and I really appreciated that to, to, to understand and learn a totally new way of doing business within the sports industry. Right. So I'm a, I'm a, in a sense, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a new and, and, and yeah, new and f further educated manager uh, within sports now. This is brilliant. Um, uh, indeed, and we we never expected to, uh, to to within very short term we would be in the same position as we are in the states. In the states, we are indeed the total dominator. All of the profession bigger professional leagues are in having contracts with us uh, especially on the e-com side of things um, with, with the, the, the American common, uh, colleagues have done tremendous deals with with uh, retailers where basically all of the um, all of the licensed products are fanatics products with Walmart and Kohl's and and I mean likes that we we uh, all know you everywhere <laughs> uh, exactly and, and for those guys it's also great because their assortment normally is 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 pretty skinny and uh, we come in and offer them uh, the full access to our assortment which is uh, a high six-digit amount of uh, of product, right. uh, and and th that's a totally different ball game when you when you just want to buy your you know your your ex college uh, alumni product and, and we can provide you with that uh, in whatever so, college so, so in what, Wisconsin what, or yeah. so. So what's the challenge in Europe? With I mean, you're, I'm sure you're looking. Well, well, you're a football man, so you would always automatically look at the the leagues and the clubs and and what what is the challenge? Is there compared to yeah, the US now here in, in comparison? Well, we, we got in here and, and at the same time we started uh, getting rights on board 
and building our infrastructure. And and you said it before, to build infrastructure that is that is fully workable is is, a, is definitely a challenge. And but to be honest, we approached clubs mainly. Uh, high volume clubs. Um, mm-hmm. So um, we had, uh, and we did we did a lot of deals that that uh, that really worked worked out well for us. And and over the past say almost four years now, that that inter- the international business has has uh, has been there. Um, we we grow we have grown the business. Um, we have we have gotten part of the uh, say say football family or sports family in um, in in Europe and other countries. Um, well, we did we did nice deals with say the FA in Germany, the FA in England. Uh, we just last year we did a pretty big deal with Paris Saint Germain, mm-hmm. uh, where we took over all of their. Um, all of their uh, e-com business and licensing business. Uh, so we, we have Bayern Munich and and the two Manchester clubs in Chelsea. So I mean, it's it's not at all that that this is that this, big is, names, uh, that this has not been successful. Uh, but we need volume and for for those things. And there are not so many uh, 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 rights holders in say Europe that have the volumes that which you require that, to make it work right? that we require until we have that you know that critical mass yeah, of volume. Uh, a volume that that we need to uh, to create that infrastructure so it's a Europe is a different different ball game. In in the US, you do a deal with the NBA, and and here you go, you have thirty two teams plus the, uh, the beautiful NBA brand. Yeah, I was going to ask it. It's so is it not possible to do a deal with the Bundesliga or the Premier League, or whoever? Um, no. that's not do. You you have to do it club by club. Yes, you do. You right. need to do it club by club. Every club has its own philosophy. Every club believes it's very specific from the respective other club. They have their own strategies. They have people on board to believe uh, this or that or the other, uh, and, and trying to uh, evolve that business. And and also many of the clubs in. In Europe, see merch more on the marketing side, more on the brand building side than yeah. as a true commercial driver. Very few. You have read this very rarely, I guess, because people people believe it's such a it's such a big uh, big business. The reality is, it's it's relatively big in terms of revenue, but for clubs, it's relatively or very small in terms of margins mm. because the volumes are simply not big enough to create what you need to be ta- to right. create and uh, so so it's uh, when you see the the total revenue numbers you feel like oh this is this is nice and uh, look at the growth rate but it's uh, very few people very few clubs really have a significant and profitable business. Mm. Okay. Uh, so the, the margins are thinner and, and therefore the, the attention exactly. is not there. But yeah, And that's why it's interesting that none of the leaks are sort of trying to centralize that in some sense because, again, that may be able – that's a way to potentially drive you know a larger volume if you bundle it all up in some sort of fashion. But 
Maybe not. I mean, the Americans show that this is exactly the case. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, the leagues, the, the leagues are the best example that this works great and that you organize yourself and look into the brands and who do I pushing when and, and so forth and so on. Yeah. In Europe, you know, and, and this is this counts for basically all countries in Europe, you know, solidarity amongst football clubs is not very high. I mean, right. you are in competition. Right. Uh, you are not one. And the, I mean, the spread between, say, sales numbers of, say, Bundesliga clubs, Bayern Munich, uh, as being the absolute market leader and top club in the country, uh, towards, say, any club being down low or from a smaller from a smaller city is such a significant difference in revenue that it's kind of hard to then do a distribution of the money if you do it on a central basis. Yeah. How do you do this? Yeah. They have a, in TV rights, you have a distribution, a scheme that is obviously d discussed every year, but uh, it, th that has parts where, where parts of the, the, the revenue is equally shared. Right. In, in merch, there is, there is no distribution scheme that can ever be fair to the big guns uh, rather than the small guns. And therefore, there is the league, the league board would not even touch it, neither in, in this country nor in England nor in Italy. It's, a, it's a very difficult uh, to oh, touch that. Oh, makes sense. Now, I want to touch a little bit on, on sort of my part of the world here, right? Uh, because you guys have done a couple of deals out here. Um, I think you, you have an office in Tokyo or, or if I recall correctly. And then recently you guys did a, announce a deal in China, right? With a partner there. Uh, I don't remember the name now. Um, you know, so you are obviously rolling out in other parts of the world. Uh, and in some cases, my assumption is you're rolling out with existing product, right? You know, the MBA is huge in China. And if you have MBA licenses, you would sell it there as well, rather than working with, exactly. you know, Chinese basketball or Chinese football there. So, so is that a bit the strategy to basically take the international product, take the Man United's and, and others, which you mentioned earlier, you have, uh, and then really sell, start selling that globally? Uh, is that part of absolutely. the global strategy? No, absolutely. I mean, that, that's next level for fanatics. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, being 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 dominator in the US uh, doesn't mean that you that you can do the same thing uh, outside of the US and that's why we have to build the structures for that and that's exactly what we do and being uh, trying to become a real global company which which we are on a, on a great way forward uh, it needs global brands and I think the, the one glo truly global sport is is soccer football yep. uh, and that's why we at the good big brands in football they live uh, in and breathe in Europe so that's why you like you like to work with uh, the, the, the Manchester clubs and the, the Paris and the, the Munichs and so forth that's that's the way forward and Obviously, you need infrastructure. You need uh, partnerships. And when you when you go to China, very politically very difficult. Don't have to tell you. Um, and and this needs to be built. And I mean, we have we have gotten a long way now, and and, and uh, we will become a truly global company. And there is, uh, and I mean. There is there is no way that fanatics will not totally succeed 
uh, on the rights holder side and also on the distribution and and, and production side. I mean, the, uh, the the critical mass that we currently already have uh, is is significant. Uh, it's it's a, a, a great managed company. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's 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 pretty awesome place. So in China, um, were you involved? I mean, from what I now remember reading here, is it's Hill House, right? Hill House Capital yeah, yeah, Hill is House. your partner. Um, Hill House so, is huge, and yeah, I mean, it's big private equity it's a fund there. Yeah. Um, so they're investing, obviously, in it. I think it's a fifty-fifty joint venture, um, and of course, exactly. the target is to go after the Alibabas and Tencents, uh, you know, and, and pushing it into their digital shops there. So it's probably a shop and shop type of concept. I'm assuming there as well. Um, are you in? Is that under your remit? Is is Asia a part of your uh, role or, or? Well, on the who's... on the rights on the rights segment, uh, I, I have I have done some some work in in uh, in Asia, but the most what I'm concentrating on is 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 Europe. Um, when it comes to rights holders, and also when it comes to say retailers and marketplaces, that's that's what I'm doing over here. Okay. The the Hill House thing was was truly a financial uh, a financial deal, right. um, and and now our say infrastructure people, our operations people, are there to to, to build up, and we have a we have a very good office in Tokyo. Uh, that has done, say, domestic business in the in the forefront at this point. Uh, uh, got some good names uh, under their belt, uh, in mainly in baseball. Mm, sure, um, it makes sense. And um, and and they they're rolling over in Japan. And but you know, it's it you can expect to do this just by the by the the click of a button. Um, it it takes a while, uh, especially when when infrastructure is is the the key to to all your client and fan fulfillment. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and then you, you have another be... challenge in Asia. That's the counterfeits, right? Which clearly uh, are unfortunately are a big thing here, whether it's China or it's other parts of Asia. Um, so there is, you know, the minute you, you, I'm sure you guys come up with a nice design, someone will knock it off probably the next minute. So how much have you come across that as a challenge to enter markets um, or, or, or that's not really on the radar at the moment? Well, we know that it's there. We, we won't be the ones that will, that will get rid of this whole problem that raises it. Um, so for my from from for my day to day business, I I really don't don't look at it too much. Um, the mainly mainly the rights holders they have rights protection programs. The bigger ones have rights protection programs. They go against it. Uh, China is a different story, um, and and but but it's when when you look at the total numbers, it's not. It's not uh, so significant that it will kill the overall business. So therefore, uh, we're totally trusting on our rights holder partners that they do whatever is needed to protect their brand. Uh, but uh, it, it's not something we can do much about and mm -hmm. we are not doing much about. Yeah. 
No, no, fair enough. Um, look, I mean, as I said earlier, you know, the, the company has grown tremendously, and and uh, depends on which part of the world you are, you would have you would know them very well already um, if you're buying your merchandise, um, and now you're spreading your wings around the world. So uh, I wish you best of luck there. It sounds like you're having fun again, as you've had in all your previous roles, uh, as we've heard now with the last hour, and uh, so well, you know, so. You know, in terms of your maybe just the current, uh, you know, deal, is there anything specific you guys are working on? You're signing another big team or, or other properties? I mean, have you gone into outside of football? You know, would you sign with the Wimbledons of the world and things like that? Or that's not really part of the remit? Yeah, no, it, it can be. Uh, we've done deals with, with those guys, but um, at the moment, this is not our focus. To be honest, we were really very much, uh, very much in the football space. Okay. Um, and and yeah, as as I said, when you look at the pyramid of of international football brands, we're trying to work our way top down. To right. be honest, and right. uh, and the further the, the further we evolve in in uh, with our infrastructure, the the say smaller, and I don't mean this negative, the smaller we can get, and and that, that's. Well, we have we have a lot to do still, uh, right. obviously, but um, but we're on a on a good good track here. Mm. Wow, awesome! Well, look, Joachim, that was fun. Uh, it was it was a good uh, you know dive into your world there from NFL football, how it all started, and now even in your current role, you're somewhat you know dealing again with the world of American football there, obviously, uh, being I'm sure a big part of uh, what Fanatics is all about. So uh, absolutely, and I'm a I'm a football fan altogether, American football fan altogether. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I love the sports. Yeah, come you. full really? circle there. From running a club to uh, to now selling the merchandise around the world, so I love that. That's fun, and of course, uh, your stories from Footsport Five and House Foul. So I wish you best of luck. Uh, it doesn't look like your team is coming up this season again. Uh, I think they'll have another round in the well, in next the, year. Next in the year. second division, my club might be joining you the way they're playing at the moment. It's a complete nightmare. But uh, anyway, we won't go yeah, there. I now. know. So uh, thank you for your time, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Marcus it was great to be with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tschüss. <laughs> ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Lure. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.